Never have so few control the lives of so many. We're calling on people here to start a process of critical thinking. Those of us living in democracies must start to question and challenge the approach our governments are taking during this COVID crisis. In our view, we must particularly question the transparency of the science being used to underpin the decisions and measures being taken. That's because there's a lot happening that doesn't fit with the science, at least what we think of as good objective science. We're being told over and over again that all the decisions being made by governments that are driving lockdowns, the social distancing and the development of drugs and vaccines for COVID-19 are being driven by science. But ultimately it depends on how you define science, how you define bias or corruption in the scientific process. Good science that's always been central to our mission at the Alliance for Natural Health is all about how you evaluate evidence from objective observation, measurement and experimentation to better understand the world around us. That science can then be applied in many different ways. Sometimes that might be to help businesses reap just rewards for the goods and services they provide. But when it comes to the science around COVID, I think most of us would expect the science to be used to maximize the benefits, not for special interests, but for the public. During this COVID pandemic, we're seeing many examples of decisions being made ostensibly on the basis of science that don't appear to be in the public interest that also don't appear either objective or independent of vested interests. There's a concern even that billionaires, including Bill Gates, but also around about 200 others, other billionaires that have contributed to Gates and Warren Buffett's giving pledge, now pose a threat to transparent science and even democracy, all under the shroud of what looks like philanthropy. The decision to initiate a global lockdown because COVID-19 was declared a pandemic by the World Health Organization, the WHO, and now the obsessive reliance on our numbers to determine how lockdowns should be eased, as we wrote about last week and you can find the links below this video, are just two examples of decisions that are difficult to argue were made on the basis of robust science. Another screaming example of not being informed by science is the lack of emphasis being placed by governments on understanding the natural history of the disease. What would have happened had we not locked down? Why do we hear so little about what's going on in Taiwan? As of today, there are just 440 confirmed cases and seven deaths reported. Remember this for later, Taiwan's not a member of the World Health Organization. What about South Korea with its extensive test track and trace system and a case fatality rate of just 0.6%, about five times less than the case fatality rate being bandied about the World Health Organization? Or Japan for that matter, less than 700 reported deaths so far. None of these three countries went into lockdown, yet over this side of the world we hear very little about how they achieved their successes. Social customs, good IT, clearly helped. When the decision to go into near-complete global lockdown was made in March, the best science looking at the effect of lockdowns for infections caused by respiratory viruses already showed they don't really work. The biggest review, a Cochrane review, 
that was looking at social distancing and its ability to interrupt or reduce the spread of respiratory viruses. It included 67 randomized controlled trials and observational studies. All the available evidence said there's no real benefit. Yet we rushed ahead, the public believing it was the right thing and our only option. What about the idea of letting healthy people get on with their lives and just shielding the groups we know are vulnerable? Or offering support or advice to help people improve their immune function to reduce the severity of disease? No, still now, advice like this is being censored online because it doesn't fit with the mainstream narrative. Looking at the emerging data on strong correlations between vitamin D deficiency and severe symptoms, why isn't everyone being recommended to take high doses of vitamin D required to normalize or even optimize our circulating levels? Why is YouTube banning videos that discuss the importance of vitamin C when it's proven to be one of the most effective solutions for sepsis when delivered intravenously at the right dose? Especially when we know that sepsis is one of the reasons critically ill people can die with COVID. Same thing applies to improving zinc status. The longer you look at the reasons why things are happening the way they are, the more you realize that the narrative is being controlled by a small number of people and organizations, as well as researchers and institutions, all funded from the same so-called independent sources. Independence here becomes something of a moot point. Are we talking about independence from governments? Or are we talking about independence from, say, massive funding sources like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that have interests? Let's now look at some of the key players. Firstly, the Global Preparedness Monitoring Board, the GPMB. It's a control center. It's fully attached to the WHO. Therefore, it's not independent of the WHO. Bill and Melinda Gates are presently the largest funder of the WHO. And the Gates Foundation has also become the largest funder since the US's withheld payments this year. The UK is next in line. Big names like Dr. Anthony Fauci from the US Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases that's controlling the US response is on the board as is Dr. Chris Elias from the Gates Foundation and Jeremy Farrar from the Wellcome Trust. These are the two organizations that have been at the forefront of pushing for vaccine solutions to health challenges. It was of course Fauci who famously predicted in January 2017 there'd be a surprise during the next administration, Trump's administration. There is no question that there will be a challenge to the coming administration in the arena of infectious diseases, both chronic infectious diseases in the sense of already ongoing disease, and we have certainly a large burden of that, but also there will be a surprise outbreak. How could he be so sure? Anyway, back to the GPMB. It is, as I said, like the conductor of the orchestra. It coordinates political leaders and policymakers. It's the reason that most countries in the world have reacted so quickly in the same way with lockdowns. They parrot the narrative in much the same way too. Have a listen.
we will intensify the search for a vaccine. We will strengthen the search for effective treatments and increase our diagnostics. Diagnostics, treatments and vaccines. Les diagnostics, les traitements et les vaccins. Vaccination, treatment and diagnostics. Vaccines, drugs and diagnostics. Diagnostics, therapeutics and vaccines. Vaccines, treatments and tests. Next in line, we have the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, or CEPI. It describes itself as a public-private partnership and a roundtable of independent institutions in seeing vaccines deployed in the event of a global pandemic, the WHO's Disease X scenario, a pandemic disease caused by a pathogen for which there is no pre-existing or therapeutic agent or vaccine. So Disease X is a concept. Let's say it's a placeholder to be sure that if we have a new disease, completely new disease or disease we know but not enough and suddenly emerge and is more severe or spreading everywhere, we will have a space to put the disease and to know that we need to put efforts on, in terms of research to get drugs and vaccine, let's say. So in a way, it's a reminder to remember the unknown. Absolutely. COVID-19 fits the bill for disease X, perfectly timed, some might say. The Gates Foundation is one of CEPI's founding backers. This is what CEPI's head, Richard Hatchett, had to say about it. We can be sure that another epidemic is on the horizon. It's not a case of if, but when. We need to be prepared. We need to invest in platform technologies that can be used to quickly respond to the emergence of a pathogen with epidemic potential. When CEPI was launched in 2017, Bill Gates was interviewed by London's Financial Times. This is what he said. Bill Gates said he hoped to cut the time between identifying and deploying a vaccine from as many as 10 years today to less than 12 months. If we can't get it under a year, we'd be disappointed. Why so quick? To save lives and get the global economy back into action? Or because they know these new-to-human coronaviruses, like SARS and MERS before it, have a habit of petering out naturally, just after interacting with the human immune system and without a vaccine? Head of CEPI, Richard Hatchett, wrote this in the New England Journal of Medicine, published on the 30th of March, 2020. Vaccines for SARS, Ebola and Zika did not follow a similar path. The SARS and Zika epidemics ended before vaccine development was complete and federal funding agencies reallocated funds that had been committed to vaccine development, leaving manufacturers with financial losses and setting back other vaccine development programs. Then you have the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation itself. It was 2010 that the Gateses pledged a $10 billion spend on vaccines. That 10 years is up. And like any businessman, he probably wants to see results or a return on investment. We might then ask, what forums do these individuals and organizations use to decide our fate? Well, they do have meetings. The last one we know about was called Event 201. It happened in October 2019, just around the time that SARS-CoV-2 was starting to transmit human to human. Where did it get its name, or at least its number, 201? Well, 
they decided that there'd been a growing number of epidemics in recent years, totaling around 200. So the next big one would be number 201. During the meeting, they ran a simulation, believe it or not, for a coronavirus. One that would take off in South America, not China. One that jumped to humans from pigs, not from an as yet unidentified source, as in the real thing. The event was hosted at Johns Hopkins in partnership with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, as well as the World Economic Forum. Johns Hopkins, unsurprisingly, is also funded by the Gates Foundation. We've seen that there are 189 grants from the Gates Foundation, and these are shown on the Gates Foundation website. Johns Hopkins has also become a major reporting portal for the pandemic. In fact, in case anyone might think that the whole thing was something of a war game to prepare for the real COVID-19 epidemic, Johns Hopkins has issued a statement. As a collator of data from the WHO, the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control and others, the Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Centre has become one of the key places that helps the media to fan the flames of fear around the pandemic and its impact. And the public has become a passive and incompletely informed recipient of that information. They compare the death rates with confirmed cases, which often gives you typically a figure between five and 15% case rate fatality. But remember, you get these big percentages only when you use confirmed cases as your denominator. If we knew the real denominator, and the number of people in each country and region who've never reported symptoms because they were so mild, as well as those who've never had any symptoms, the asymptomatic. And we know already this number is very large. We'd have a very different figure, and that would dramatically dilute the public view of the deadliness of this pandemic. And if you're in the business of trying to develop a vaccine in record time at warp speed before the thing peters out, because of the interactions with healthy humans. Maybe that's not in your interest. Among Event 201's recommendations in October 2019, just before the virus was detected in Wuhan, was this. Governments should provide more resources and support for the development and surge manufacturing of vaccines, therapeutics and diagnostics that will be needed during a severe pandemic. The timing couldn't have been any better. It's clear that Gates is all over this current agenda. As some might say, he's done well for a software developer, especially now that he, he's a key player on the main stage of global healthcare. Because he's been prosecuted in the late 90s for breach of antitrust laws with Microsoft by illegally maintaining a monopoly that blocked competition, we should look at this carefully. It's inevitable that one has to consider the possibility that the Gates Foundation's motives aren't entirely philanthropic. Having said that, a Google search of philanthropic gates brings up nearly 5,000 hits. It's clear someone's working, doing some good PR in the back room. The fact that cannot be denied is that there is a small cluster of people and organizations, most being funded by the Gates Foundation, that are making very important decisions that not only affect us and our future, but likely also our children's futures. That shouldn't sit easily with any of us. 
And you don't need to be a conspiracy theorist to be concerned about this. Being a historian or just someone concerned with social justice is enough. We need to be asking how independent is independent? What do we mean by independence? Independent of who? We need to ask who's set to gain, who's set to lose, who's set to pay for all of this? We need to ask how democratized is the science? We need to ask why are doctors like doctors Corey Marek's frontline COVID-19 critical care working group whose protocol is saving 90% or more of patients in critical care facilities in the US compared with around 50% with standard care being stonewalled by the National Institutes of Health. With all the resources being thrown at vaccines, is there going to be the appetite to systematically and accurately study the extent of naturally acquired herd immunity? What happens if such studies were to find that the vaccine isn't really needed? Can we trust the transparency of findings of this kind of huge pressure coming from those vested with an interest in vaccine technologies? What if we were to find that well over half the global population has already been exposed to the virus, most people having barely noticed the infection? Would there be a mere culpa from those in charge, recognition that they perhaps overreacted, that all this control and planned surveillance of the population wasn't required anymore? Or are we already in too deep to be able to climb out? Are most of us already so blinded by fear about the virus that we're not able to properly understand the way in which enforced surveillance coupled with AI, artificial intelligence, could destroy most of the things we value as independent, free-thinking humans? Keep an eye on the likes of Eric Schmidt in New York, who's fast-tracking a socially distanced AI future for New Yorkers. And that's just the starter. For us, transparency is the only way forward. We need to demand it on all fronts, whether it's giving us the data that allows us to appreciate the real risks of the virus, who's expected to pay for all of this, or what the data is to ensure the most fast-track vaccines in history are actually necessary. And if they're deemed necessary, that they're safe before they're unleashed on citizens around the world. You can find out more about our Vaccine Transparency Manifesto created with the British Society for Ecological Medicine in the links below. We're calling on you to really look carefully at the evidence and we're also calling you because there is censorship at an unprecedented level to share this video and videos like it so that people can really wake up and make sure that we maintain a democracy. If we're really interested in natural health and we have a trust in the relationship between human existence and the natural environment, we've got to act now. Thank you.